this sort of magical thinking that says we can we could continue the way we live our lives now if only we had uh, clean energy, right? Mm. And to your point, I mean, we it, life would just be wonderful if we all had electric vehicles and we could. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and in the local Franklin Mass area dial at 102.9 here for another session of Making Sense of Climate with my guide, Ted McIntyre. Ted, happy Tuesday. It's a very happy Tuesday. Uh, it, it is my approach to life is to have all my Tuesdays be very happy. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, my approach to life goes a little bit further than that. I want every day to be happy. That's right. That's <laughs> so it's right. happy Monday, happy Tuesday. happy Tuesday. It's happy that I get up. Because <laughs> the world is trying us in so, so many ways. Every time we turn around, there's something else like, oh, no, oh what's God. that? Yeah. What do we yeah. do about yeah. this? Oh, no. <laughs> and how do we get away from climate when we're trying to solve climate? <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely. It's all it's it's these are weird times. And uh, I guess the question is, actually, the question I was posing is, are these times normal? And, you know, 2019 was the aberration, right? When things, <laughs> right? And, uh, or is it vice versa? Was 2019 normal? And now, now we're into weird times. I, I don't, all I know is that there's uh, life seems like a pretty good roller coaster right now. And you got to you got to keep your seatbelt on, keep your eyes yeah. on the uh, hands inside the cart. And if this is the new normal, I think we need a newer normal. I don't want to go this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, certainly uh, amongst things, the rate of change and then the variations. We've talked even about the climate and the weather, the rate of change and the range of changes is just getting enormous. And the media hasn't helped. <laughs> the news around the world hasn't helped. So we'll just try to make some sense of climate in our world today and figure out what's going on. <laughs> well, I, I, I would, it bears repeating over and over again that um, climate touches everything from your food to your health, to Ukraine, to inflation, everything, everything. So there's a baseline which climate touches everything. And so it is, it becomes one way of perceiving the world. Right. And yes. it, you know, it's just, it's just, and it's a very fundamental way. It allows you to put a little bit of order into things, but that it's not perfect. It's that you're still left with this, you know, whiplash with each new turn <laughs> of crazy event, right? But and that assumes you've read the finish coming out of the IPC latest 800 page, whatever, <laughs> reading report. <laughs> Yes, I'm working on that. You're working on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's next on the reading list. <laughs> yes, yes. But in terms of at least what we're trying to do here to kind of make sense of it all, we've got this MASH roadmap, which fortunately aligns with the IPCC. And last week, the Senate, MASH Senate, as opposed to the U.S. Senate, we won't talk about them. Um, we may from time to time. But the MASH Senate being our local legislative body, uh, decided to take some action even more so on climate. And that has broached uh, a number of articles, <laughs> some editorials, and yeah. we can get into 
making some sense of this at the, for the moment, at least. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's interesting. So I, I, as you say, there's so much going on. You, you can't necessarily keep track of everything, but it seems to me that climate legislation, uh, the pace of climate legislation has increased over the last few years in the sense that it used to be uh, back in 2012, 2013, that you got basically one, one year, one, one shot at doing something, and then the legislature would sort of, as a collective psychological body, they would say, okay, we did climate, we need two or three years to worry about other things, right? So you would get a shot in, you know, and then you take two or three years before you get another real bill. Seems that recently, the rate at which these real bills, real potential actions are showing up has increased. So last, and of course, the, the basis for our conception of the world here is the is the, the roadmap bill that was passed in spring of 2021, just a year ago, right? Which we talked a lot about it, but mm -hmm. if, you, if you don't remember, I mean, this is setting goals and objectives, and now we're working out how to get there. Um, it turns out that in the, as you say, in the Massachusetts Senate, there has been a new, a new bill that's been pulled in. And I have to admit, I'm not even sure that there is a companion bill in the House. So again, it's, it's important for people to understand that the way the bills get turned into law, where you go from a bill to a law, is that both the House and the Senate in Massachusetts have to pass identical language. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And then that that identical language has to go to the governor's office and be signed. And then it's a law. Right. right? So uh, right now, I believe that the Senate has passed its a version of a climate bill. Yes. Is that do you, Steve, do you agree? I mean, maybe that, you know, that's more. that's that's my understanding. And one of the articles I read uh, to your point in terms of what the House did, the House had come up with the if you will, the wind power bill, right. which supposedly is the equivalent. And yet, to your point, they're they're in climate. Yes, they are taking more forceful action more sooner. That's all good. But they're totally different. And the reconciliation between the two of them is really going to be challenging because it's more like instead of saying, well, I said this and you said that. They're like whole sections that are different. Have you got bananas? No, here's a coconut, right? What are we? Uh, yes, you're quite right. That's right. The House passed a very good bill that focused mostly on wind power, right. and that again is because the roadmap calls for lots of renewable energy. The pipe, the the high tension wire that was going to come through Maine to bring us hydro Quebec failed. So all of a sudden, we really need the wind power. Mm -hmm. The House is very pragmatically saying, "Yeah, let's uh, let's make wind power." They pass a bill, and then the Senate nominally passing the companion bill, right, is completely different. We'll talk about that. But then at some point over the summer, the House and the Senate have to get together. And again, this is the word you use: the word is this reconciliation committee, right? which is this weird process where I think they like, they take two people from the two representatives and two three senators, and th three, and three and three, I think, right. They lock them in a room, right. And say, don't mm -hmm. come out until you guys all agree. And they have to reconcile the language and what gets put in. And then it goes back in both house, that identical language then gets passed. It's this huge process. And it's a, it's a, um, a burial ground, right? Or a minefield. There's all kinds of bad things that can happen trying to, anyway. So that's just processing. I think process stuff's important because 
people are often confused about you hear that the you know the senate passed a bill and you think well they made a law well no 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 yeah. that's just one baby <laughs> step right in getting to where we all need to be okay so having said that let's talk about this senate bill and Steve, you've been following this as well. So correct me if I say something a little bit too far that's that's not right. But it's my understanding is that between the time the House passed its bill about wind turbine, you know, climate bill about mm -hmm. getting more wind turbines, right. the money from the Biden infrastructure uh, bill, right, that they did manage to get through the, the Washington House and Senate, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, we have something like $250 million, a check for $250 million ringing in somebody's wallet, right? <laughs> and they got to do something with that $250 bucks. And the Senate decided to focus it on climate issues, right? Which is a great, great thing. And I, and I think being the build back better law, which has been stymied, but I mean, that would spend lots more money, make more money available to do good things like this. Anyway, there's the Senate bill. It's called an act, an act driving climate policy. And we'll come back to that name later on. But it's basically uh, the Senate saying, yeah, okay, we recognize there's some things that need to change. And this is in line with stuff you and I have talked about, that some of the stuff's not, the roadmap is not being executed right, not being executed the way we want it to be. So how do you know, the, these, the politicians have to go in and change things in order to get, as I've said, alignment of all the different agencies. Uh, they need to have the goals clearly set, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, so there's a bunch of stuff in this bill. And yeah, I, I think actually, to I, add to what you were saying, and I agree, the Senate decided to use some money, but I think in the time between not that it was just purely between, but had been building during the year was at least the awareness in the Senate that part of our discussion has been things were taking changes along the way. So in terms of at least the overall roadmap, we're supposed to go this way. It's got guideposts and uh, deliverables, et cetera. Some things like the Mopar and the decision of uh I forget the term, but the future of gas, <laughs> the future of gas things, all those things started deviating from the plan. So the Senate decided, oh, no, we got to re-put some better timelines and enhanced timelines together. So they did that. And oh, by the way, threw the extra money in as well, killing, quote, two birds with one stone nicely so that we still get better, et cetera. But now there's this deviation that we've talked about, and there's going to be this major reconciliation to go on yeah, yeah. with with the house, et cetera. So yeah, it's it's going to be a challenge, but so that's I think, what they're for. <laughs> I mean, let's the, the good. Let me let me go through the good things in the bill first, right? And, and it, well, we've got an article from the esteemed uh, um, Marion Wasserman at WBUR. She always writes very clear you know, accessible descriptions of stuff. So if mm -hmm. you're into this, follow, follow that, follow Earth a while on WBUR, right? They do great stuff. Some of the stuff that they've done that are, that's good to do is to, uh, they've improved, this is the Senate bill. They made the offshore wind industry better. So this, the house, the house had a nice bill. The Senate comes along with stuff that is, uh, there's this funky thing that's gone goes a long way back where the house Massachusetts was so bullish on wind that they said every time a new wind project comes along, it must cost less than the previous project. 
Mm-hmm. So that if if and that's now a little bit of an impediment to the new projects that come online because per kilowatt hour, whatever they however they define it, it's not always exactly cheaper, right? So that's the right. problem. So they they they've modified that rule a little bit in this sort of arcane way I can't really describe, but th- this limitation on you know what the state will consider as being a uh, um, an acceptable price. Mm-hmm. Is made easier for the wind turbines. The other thing that I find interesting is that the the Senate bill, and this comes to stuff you and I have talked about, is that the alignment of the goals uh, and who gets to make the calls is improved. So in the Senate bill, what they said is that no longer will Eversource or National Grid be able to pick the wind turbine provider. Mm. Right? So this vineyard wind off of... Uh, Martha's Vineyard, right? Sure. I think they are were chosen by Eversource and National Grid. What this new bill says is, nay, 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 no more of the utilities deciding it. DOER, the Department of Environmental Energy Resources, is going to make that call, right? So they're more, more answerable to the politicians, right? So that's a good thing, right? It's mm-hmm. more of this alignment where all the agencies are pushing in the same direction. There are uh, changes to the uh, solar bills to make it easy to put solar on your house. And mm-hmm. it, essentially what it does is increases. So this gets nerdy, but it, it used to be sort of a cap on how much you could get paid. You had to make, if you made more than 10,000 kilowatt hours, you didn't get paid for it. Right. So they right. put that up to 25,000. There are, cha- there are good changes to biomass. In other words, the Baker administration is trying to say that burning wood is a renewable resource. And, you know, in a classical sort of 1980s definition, yeah, you, you burn a tree, you could regrow a tree. But the time is, you know, the time it takes to replace that tree is so long now that it's not really. Uh, and then there's myriad other bad things. So they, they're trying to clean that up. Another good thing they're doing that you and I have talked about, and we, we can come back to often enough, is that the there's this net zero building code, right, where the yes. state is trying to make a building code. Mm-hmm. uh that basically they've been asked to make a building code that does not allow natural gas. So that, in other words, you cannot have a gas heater in your house under this building code. And it's opt-in so that different cities and towns can choose it if they want. It's not mandatory, but you can choose it, right? Lots of round and round about that. But because the DOER has been sort of a laggard there, the Senate steps in and says, time out. There are already... There are already six towns that have passed local ordinances to call for this gas hookup ban, right, to yeah. implement this. And they said, those six towns, they can go ahead. Heck, the heck with the deal we are, right? They can mm-hmm. have local, right, unless Brookline, Arlington, Lexington, Lincoln, Concord, and Acton. And then they said they'll take four more towns. So up to 10 towns can, of their own local rule, ban gas if they want to. And that's a good thing because it's the it's the thin edge of the wedge, it's the experiment, right? So you find out uh, sure. what goes wrong. So those well, are those the, are good. the logic behind that on two points. I think one to reinforce Brookline certainly was in the headlines a couple of times, uh, having gone through to the Attorney General. Attorney General and the Lord didn't really require that, et cetera. Legislation needs to do it. So yay, yeah, legislature did indeed mm-hmm. step up to do so. Right. Um, right. And then the other point I think to reinforce one of the pieces we've talked of is that. 
for new connections, right? So why put in a new connection if we know it's not going to have the long-term life? <laughs> Let's stop it while we can. And to their credit, they want to do so. Uh, are all the communities available and ready to do so right now? Well, at least up to four have the wherewithal to try. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let, let, let them go, right? Why yeah. stand in the way? Right. So based on, again, rules that don't really... The other, the other good thing that's in this bill is something you and I have touched on. And of course, there's all these recurrent themes, right? This mm -hmm. is the, we're talking about this evolving story of these things is going to go on for, you know, years, if not decades, right? We talked last time about something called the future of gas, this commission mandated by the Department of Public Utilities. It's also called the 2080 docket. And the argument that we made last time was that the utilities, the Eversource and national grids of the national grids of the world had so corrupted the process that this future of gas thing, that the, the utilities basically wrote the report. And of course, the report was very favorable to the utilities. And the report said, they had, there's this great idea, the way that we should decarbonize to the year 2050 is by allowing hydrogen to be put in the natural gas pipeline into your home and you refer to previous episodes to, to listen to the outrage. And report. Mm -hmm. That's a dumb idea. Okay. That's a whole lot. But in the, in this bill, the, the Senate has said, has stepped in to say that they are going to um, um, intervene in this DPU process, right? So the department of public, and this comes back to sort of the general alignment of all the state uh, bureaucracies toward the 2030 goals. Mm -hmm. Those there's more in the bill. Those are the good things, right? Yes. So now let's talk yeah. about the bad things. Much well, more wait, there's a few of them supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that the 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 this one major one, and then there's one that's my personal peccadillo that I just just makes my turns my hair even grayer than it is. Right. <laughs> start with the one that's that's more broad in scope. So the Senate bill does a lot of stuff to get electric vehicles implemented, right? So yeah. basically there are, there's a new um, subsidy if you, if you want to buy an electric vehicle. Mm -hmm. There's lots of stuff about making charges more available mm -hmm. uh, to places. There's a little bit of stuff about getting, uh, getting rid of gas guzzling cars, making it easier for people of low income to... But the bottom line is that the focus on the electric vehicles is a bad way to use the money because it primarily serves white, well-to-do people who can afford to think about an electric vehicle, mm -hmm. right? That's a subset of people. And, and to say that all climate policy, the, the magic solution to our transportation, to have green transportation, is to give everyone an electric vehicle does not stand up, does not stand up in the light of day. Right. That's just not the way to, yeah. to, to do it. The other major issue, aside from the electricity and the rebates and the affordability and the economic value of the different, you know, clients, et cetera, those cars are just being replaced from gas to EV, but they're still putting on the road. We're not reducing the number of cars on the road anyway. So well, the, yeah. the, the, that's that's one major factor. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think the, the way I keep saying it is that there is a this sort of magical thinking that says we can we could continue the way we live our lives now if only we had uh, clean energy, right? Hmm. 
and to your point, I mean, we it, life would just be wonderful if we all had electric vehicles and we could, you know, let the battery run out because we were in a traffic jam on I-90 with all the millions of other electric vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, just having an electric vehicle doesn't really speak to congestion and quality of life in the city that, that you want to uh, uh, to address climate change. Yeah, and of course, there's there are real environmental justice issues in that, equity issues, I guess I should say, in that people who don't have the money to think about an electric vehicle are just priced out. And they're not going right. to go buy a Tesla at $40,000. And, and one of the outrages is that in this bill, there is no subsidy to buy an electric bicycle. So an e-bike is a pretty cool thing. I mean, yes. you know, maybe you and I can talk sometime. I would love to think about having more robust bike lanes here in Franklin so I could pedal over to the supermarket, right, and on an electric bicycle. But I mean, there's no subsidy for any of that stuff. And in fact, the bill almost entirely ignores the MBTA regional transit does nothing to, and, and what you want to do there is electrify the buses, right? And the and trains. electrify the trains, right? right? That's, that's a huge amount of money. And the MBTA is kind of dragging its feet saying, yeah, by 2040, we'll all be electric, but, you know, you know not really sort of slow walking the whole thing as mm -hmm. opposed to the enthusiasm well, and, you have to have to get. Yeah, retrofitting a garage to do gas in the meantime is a transition to yeah. uh, electric. It's like, um, no, no. I mean, <laughs> that it's, doesn't it's make like, a whole lot of sense. Come on, in, you know. In after after Pearl Harbor, right? They went from GM went from making cars to making planes in twenty minutes, right, or a mm -hmm. few weeks, right? So, so to say that it's going to take us ten years to have a, an electrical an electric bus repair facility. No, you could do just if you want to do it faster, you could do it faster. So the whole uh, the whole thing around the electric vehicles and the role that they play in this bill itself, I think, is going to be a cause for a lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll give you an we'll we'll, po we'll post a link to an article, an opinion piece by Jim Aloisi, who basically deconstructs this whole thing, and he says the name of this bill. I said the, the yeah. act driving climate policy is almost a joke, right? It's yeah. almost like this self-referential joke because it talks about driving. That's all it wants to talk about is who's going to drive the EVs. Mm -hmm. And we need to, there's two things. One is that the bill is, is to my mind, not focused properly, but it also bespeaks this idea, as I said, magical thinking that somehow there's a technical solution that's going to make everything better. Right. And the, the answer is going to be much more holistic about how we address climate. It's going to have to do with better housing near train lines so that people don't need a car to get in and out of Boston. There's going to be, you know, bus lanes in Boston, bike lanes so that people can get around Boston without burning mm -hmm. up a lot of fuel, all that kind of stuff. And that's not even on the radar screen for this bill. So, right. it, it, but, but then the flip side is, as we started saying, the process is so arduous to get the bill through. I mean, there's a lot, there's opportunities to redress these kinds of uh, differences between the House and the Senate bill. You can introduce stuff. You can, then the other thing. So now we go from the sort of broad thing to my, my peccadillo is that, so here's the, here's the background. In December, a company called uh, an MIT-based spinoff startup called Commonwealth Fusion, it got startup money to the tune of $1.8 billion with a B to make 
a system to produce electricity from fusion power, right? So fusion is kind of the the orphan stepsister of nuclear power, right? right? Nuclear power, you're breaking the uranium into two, you're fissioning, fractioning the uranium. On this fu- fusion side, you're fusing two helium, two hydrogen things together to make energy, right? Extremely difficult has been potentially ready to, uh, has been promised since the 1970s, right? And uh, I mean, it has advantages. If you, ha- I mean, I thought, I think that if you had fusion power that was too cheap to meter, right? Suppose this fusion idea works, meter. I would say, okay, build a fusion power plant and have it power the carbon dioxide removal technology that's very energy hungry, right? To take carbon dioxide out of the air, right? Sure. So fusion is good, but to my mind, well, it turns out that this bill allows Commonwealth Fusion to receive money from the state of Massachusetts. Could be good. Could be a good thing. I, I, there's no, I haven't seen any details, but I know that anybody that's getting $1.8 billion in startup funding has a whole lot more money than the wind turbine guys, right? right. And that, that for the state to support such a thing seems especially since fusion energy without going into the details. I mean, so fusion Commonwealth fusion has, I think a small superconducting magnet, which is like a key to making big progress and making fusion energy. Right. That, that that's, that's cost a lot of money. And so for the state to be in there, it just seems like I, I don't want the state to be trying to fund fusion research at the expense of solar panels and wind turbines mm-hmm. and how to retrofit houses right. in low, right? And so that's just, you know, that's my my thing is that the, the, the fusion, and, and the argument I was going to make was that if the, mass, if the state of mass gives money to a company to make fusion power, that the, the, the state should take an equity stake, that is to say, own part of the company, so that when fusion power becomes fantastically financially wealthy and, and the owners of Commonwealth Fusion are like J.D. Rockefeller of the modern in, age, right? In something less than 50 years. In something less than 15 years, then this, the state of Massachusetts can become like Saudi Arabia, right? We stop paying taxes. We, we all have a, we all get, you know, $1,000, $10,000 a year from the state because we're making so much money on this fusion thing. <clears throat> Failing that, I'm worried. But that's that's kind of a minor. I mean, I hope that wiser heads have prevailed and that they properly managed. So, so again, I don't want to say that. I mean, this is a good bill. Right? It's progress. There's a lot of good stuff in it. But I think what's wonderful is that as climate activists, we reached a point where we can actually have sort of hair splitting debates about what are we going to do? Mm, like yeah. it used to be it used to be say oh we need we need solar panels we need wind turbines right now we got wind turbines right how, how do we we now need to go to the next level and that you know it, it, so this is a i hope a fair critique a fair discussion in the interest of making a good bill even better mm-hmm. so, um, yeah and more to come i'm sure because clearly that's going to go into the conference committee and We'll hear some things potentially during that conference negotiation sessions, or we may not. And then all of a sudden, at some point in time, a bill will come forth or a bill may not. And the conference committee will simply come back and say, irreconcilable differences or something to that extent. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point, because even with the famous roadmap bill that we keep referencing that was passed a year ago, that 
went into committee in July. Both side, both the House and Senate passed it, went to a committee in July, and it was just went dead radio silence, nothing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then around Christmas time, all of a sudden it pops up and we're voting on it, right? It, it, the same thing could have happened with this bill, right? Or it could go just into the circular file someplace in the state house and never be seen again, which there's a whole other question about transparency at the state house and how come we don't know what happens in the mm -hmm. conference committee, right. but that's a whole other podcast, right? Yeah, and that's uh, a whole other effort. But it is, it is something, it is something to say that if you've been listening to these things, this is something, a marker to put on the wall, right? Something's going to happen with a reconciliation of these bills. Mm -hmm. They go in in July and then may pop up at Christmas time again, but you won't be surprised because you heard it here first, right? Right, right. Yeah. And then to your point, it's, it's a good, at least that both house on the wind side and Senate, albeit on the vehicle side, are looking for making more things happen sooner. So the overall piece, that's good. Maybe we'd have to nitpick around some of the details here and there. You know, fusion may not be the best thing, but, you know, maybe if we take a flyer on it, maybe that's, uh, you know, the gamble in the corner to see if we can pay it off. Maybe that's okay. But yeah, not to the expense of the other stuff that are more of the sure bets, if you will, to continue that analogy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, thank you for reiterating that. I want to make clear that this is a good bill. And so the complaints are are in the and they're a friendly critique uh, yes to make the yeah. make the, in, uh, in that realm in that realm i mean one of the other things so let me just bash the bill one last time <laughs> <laughs> so if you try to say nice things about it the other thing that did not get into that bill which is an important piece is that the state needs to begin to think about how to retrofit existing dwellings Right. Something like 70 mm percent -hmm. of the buildings that will exist in 2050 already exist. Right. right? So how do we deal with and, and, and the state already knows I mean, we have to we, that has to do a, the state wants to retrofit a million homes between now and 2030. Last year, we did 100. So we're so, just off by orders of magnitude in terms just, of how just, we're going to do just this. off, <laughs> just just a little bit off, right? And so in this bill, you think it would be good, to, and there's something called the zero carbon, uh, the zero carbon renovation fund, which tries to think about the question of how do you how do you retrofit triple deckers existing buildings to mm -hmm. be energy efficient. That's a that's a hard question. That's some uh, right. We need to we need to continue to push to try and get that into the bill somehow. So there you go. Yeah, and since I think we've talked before, the uh, net zero building stuff uh, is also on a track. It's getting revised. Something's supposed to come back. So maybe to the Senate's point, because things were still in flux, they decided not to take the money and bet on anything on at this point. They'll let DHCD, I think, come back and say, let's try and do this before they could come well, back and weigh in, et cetera. But that's speculation. Maybe, we'll see. <laughs> I was going to say the, the just in, in terms of the continuing evolving story, sometime in June, probably, the DOER, Department of Energy Resources, will release a second version of these improved building codes. Mm -hmm. right? And the public will be able to comment on those building codes. And one of the comments that I can see coming is to say, Mr. DOER, you did a great job. Ms. DOER, you did a great job, right? But you did not include a building code for existing buildings. 
how come we need a building code that talks to existing mm-hmm. buildings and not just new buildings? Sure. Please go back to the drawing board and include that. That would be a good step forward. Yeah, though. absolutely. Yes, indeed. Because while new buildings are a piece to the puzzle, um, we're certainly not building enough that would truly, as I understand it, because of the other side of the housing issues and affordable housing issues we have, we haven't been building enough for the last 10, 15 years. And then if we did start, we're not going to be able to build enough to cover the housing, never mind address climate as we go forward. So yeah, the big ch- the big issue is going to be what are we going to do with the existing buildings and how are we going to fix and address those so we can create a more sustainable place going forward. So there's, there's one other topic that's not in the bill that do we have time to, uh, to yes, we do. A little bit? So th- th- we just, th- th- what we talked about just now is the, uh, the bill that was passed by the Massachusetts Senate called an act driving climate policy. And that is now in process uh, between the House and the Senate, and we will see where that comes. We'll be we'll be tracking that. Mm-hmm. There is a separate issue, an entirely separate issue that we again we have talked about. This is all you know the, the latest updates on existing continuing issues. There is um, the issue of what's called the minimum offer price rule or MOER, yes. Right, yes, which is a a topic that's laden with acronyms. So you have FERC, which is F-E-R-C for Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. You have ISO New England, which is ISO, the independent system operator. And the independent system operator owns the electric grid. So mm-hmm. they're the guys with the control panels you see in the big the big chart on the, the big board mm-hmm. on the wall. Mr. President, right. Right? The, right. All right. Uh, FERC owns ISO. That's ISO is beholden to, to FERC and answers to FERC. ISO has put out a rule and in, in, in a rule that basically prevents or makes it harder for renewable energies to be accepted onto the grid. Correct. The nature of that rule is such that um, ISO, the guys who run the grid, are planning for 2025. And essentially, renewable energy, like wind turbines and stuff, is not allowed into the planning process for what kind of electricity we will use in the year 2025 which is perilously close to the 2030 goal, okay? What's happened is that ISO New England did a 180-degree turn in January and asked, decided to try to extend this rule, this minimum offer price rule for another two years, right? Until 2025, the 2025 time scale. At the beginning of this month, ISO New England sent a nice letter to the people at FERC the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and say, Mr. Dear Commissioners, we would like to extend this MOPR rule for another two years. Now, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission has to decide if they're going to let ISO do that. So mm-hmm. FERC has a thumbs up, thumbs down decision on this crazy MOPR rule. Right. Okay. So the, the, the whole point of this exercise is that it is currently possible uh, the F, the FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is accepting comments from the general public about why they should continue or, or abolish this MOPA rule. Mm-hmm. And the I would t- if the, the the there's a toolkit that tells you how to sign up to be 
to comment to FERC. It gives you suggestions about the kinds of things that you could write. It's a little, a little word document that mm-hmm. you send to them saying, oh, suggestions. Gosh, I, like, yeah. I like this guy's blue. You know, I want to eat food. I don't like, uh, I don't like triple E bugs, right? You can send that to them and they will accept. So that is uh, something that's ongoing right now. If you want to check it out, the the link, and I can just spell it out. It's uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash FERC in capital letters, capital F-E-R-C dash toolkit. Bit.ly slash FERC dash toolkit gets you to this this thing that explains you how to do everything. So if someone wants to make a comment, uh, and we will see, I mean, the, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is going to have to come back in the next couple months and make a decision and we will be following that carefully because it's an important decision. Yeah, and again, cause... this comes back to my my thing is that people don't know what ISO is, right? There's a bunch of people at ISO. I'm sure they're nice people, but we don't know who they are. And there's no climate activists there. Mm. <laughs> we need to get climate activists onto the the operating board of the ISO New England so that they can make more broadly based decisions mm-hmm. yeah we referred we referred to that decision in that rule mopar rule in an earlier episode and one of the oddities of it was because of the pricing mechanisms the wind power was coming in too cheap for them to incorporate it in the grid which excuse me <laughs> that kind of doesn't make sense <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah at least yeah. we now have an um, opportunity to comment one way or the other, or both, right. or whatever. Um, right. But the comment period is open, and we'll include the link in the show notes. Uh, so if you weren't able to catch the Bitly reference that Ted just uh, enunciated, but well, um, you could go back and replay that, or check the show notes, and then get into the comment. And for the listeners, we thank them for listening. Um, There was at least one listener reader comment uh, with a set of questions. So we'll be noodling on that for a future episode. So thank you. And if anybody else wants to weigh in on any of the number of topics (laughs) that we've already covered in terms of this roadmap, the IPCC uh, reports and the various iterations thereof, um, feel free to do so. I mean, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate Ted taking time to help me make sense of climate because as you've heard, there's a lot of twists and turns and changes and oh, by the way, we're doing something. So that at least is the good thing. So thank you again for listening today. Thanks again for sharing your insights, Ted. And for the listeners, we do this because... Franklin Matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008. 
and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.